Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, we're preemptively assessing your toaster's ability to brown. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Do you love performance reviews? Do you live for that feeling you get when you know someone else is watching you and determining your value at work based on things that are largely out of your control? Then you're going to love today's topic, the vocational evaluation. He did great on that read, Seth. That was really intense. And it 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 matches the level of mind-blowing intensity that I had when you dropped this term last week. Because we've never talked about it. We've never talked about this. So it is a term that we prefer not to have to use. Yeah, I'll bet. Because one of the things you do as a lawyer is you get a lot of information in. And then you have to evaluate the case and, one, determine what the issues are. And then if there is an issue, how do you present information in the form of what would be evidence to the court for the judge to make an informed decision? Mm -hmm. And vocational evaluation only comes up when one party is saying that the other party is either unemployed or underemployed. And the only reason they care about those two facts or issues is because they think that person, the other side, their spouse, the, their other parent, if we're talking about child support, should be making more money. Okay. And if they're going to make more money, how does that impact the case? It might impact the child support number. It might impact the alimony number. It might impact the attorney fees number. Okay. So this is all about cash. What you just described matches my emotional reaction to the whole process. So which is pretty, pretty good, like disgusting. Like I've had my colonoscopy already. I don't need to do this. So uh, l- let's talk about what is included in the vocational evaluation. Okay, so set the scene. You have a party who's yeah. a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. Okay. Hasn't worked, has helped further her spouse's career, the spouse is now saying, guess what? She should be working. And when I met her, she was making $100,000 and she has an MBA and she was working in business. And when we got married, she worked for another five years. And now we decide to have kids a little late because we worked on our careers and we kind of met late. And so at age 40, when she had her first child, our first child, she stopped working. She's been mm-hmm. out of the workforce for 10 years. Okay. She's going to say, I can't get a job. I've been out of the workforce for 10 years. Like, I know I have an MBA and I know I have all these skills, but. They're 10 years out of date. Exactly. And what in Florida, check your local jurisdiction. In Florida, the judge cannot make you get a job. Because the judge can't force anybody or company to hire you. The judge cannot make you do a good job. The judge can't make you go to work. There's all these things that the judge can't do. 
you you say check your local jurisdiction. Are you saying that because you don't know what other states do or because you know other states do stuff different? Both. With regard Some to Some states okay. do it differently. I don't know what other states do. Okay. So, All right. Fair enough. Um, okay. So now the judge is like, in Florida, all mm-hmm. I have to do to get an imputation of a wage, because that's what a vocational evaluation will do. It will ultimately say, in Florida, judge, here are this person's skill sets. Here's her educational background. Here's her work history. Here is a job that is open and available in this location that is earning or paying X number of dollars. Let's call it 100 grand. If all that is true and the judge believes it, the judge could look at the spouse and say, ma'am, I appreciate that it's tough to get back in the workforce, but here is a job that you are qualified for making a hundred grand. I can't make that person hire you, but those are the type of jobs out there. Here's a specific one. I am going to act as if you are employed. Wow. And I am going to impute a hundred thousand dollars to you as a wage. And suddenly all the calculation is thrown off significantly. Correct. Typically, this is done with people who are not working because these things cost six to 10 grand with the expert. And then you got the lawyer preparing Mm -hmm. and going to trial on it. So they're they're expensive and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And you can't have it be too remote in time because then you can say, well, judge, six months ago, that job was available. Yeah. Now it's not available anymore. Right. So here's why I say it's usually done on people that are unemployed as opposed to underemployed. So let's talk about what underemployed means. Underemployed is you got your job making 60 and they think you could make another 40. So now that's a harder calculation because Mm -hmm. what they'll end up doing is do they want to spend the money on a vocational evaluation to try to get an extra 40 grand in the financial analysis? Yeah. And if you look at the child support numbers, if you add 40 grand to anybody's income, even if you're making 40 and you're jumping it to 80, it doesn't move the needle that much on how much child support is paid. Okay. And if you're making 40 grand additional and you divide 40 grand by 12, that's an extra $3,300 a month. Okay. Okay. But then you got to take taxes out of that. So let's call it 2750 bucks. I'm making up that number. But, mm-hmm. you know, those numbers start getting narrower. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot easier for someone to say, she's not working at all. I'm getting a vokey vowel. As opposed to, she's making 60. I want to push her to 100. That's a harder mm-hmm. calculation. Okay. So you, I, I mean, in, in your experience, you would probably advocate against doing a vocational evaluation for somebody in that circumstance if they're underemployed. Just move along. I would, I would advise my client, here's the cost. Mm-hmm. Here's the risk and reward. That's what I do a lot as a lawyer, evaluate risk. Yep. And ultimately, it's a client decision. Yeah, yeah. Right. The things that go into the vocational evaluation. So I'm sitting here, I'm unemployed. And let's say I'm the one who stayed at home for the last 10 years. You're looking at my work history. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at my uh, my qualifications, my degrees, well, my education. Pete, if you don't mind, and you can object well, to this yeah. and we won't do it. Uh-huh. What's your work history? 
I've been freelancing. This is actually a complicated thing, right? Because I was freelancing for a long time and now own my own business. So that's been since 2006. Right. So here, your wife could say, well, he owns his own business, but, you know, the last couple of years, he's been crushing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, last year he didn't do so well. And during this divorce, he's going down. So pandemic, let's say the pandemic really hurt me. Yeah. Well, that would be a reasonable explanation to why your business went down. Okay. But let's just say things have been just coasting up, up, up. And all of a sudden the year before divorce goes down and now it's going down, down, down. She could be Mm -hmm. saying, I think that he is purposely underemployed because he's not working as hard in his business. Judge, look at all the work that we could do. So now I have to go. Well, with Pete's skill set, there could be another job out there that isn't running his own business. Well, let me change the let me change the calculation though for you sure. because I think this might be actually easier. Let's just say again, I'm the one who's been staying home with the kids. We got two kids and they're they're growing up and moving out. And let's just say I stopped working when I started my own business in 2006. So now I have a significant gap in my employment history. Right. And when I stopped working, I left a job as a, a director of public relations at a, a sizable international company. And then I stopped and went to nothing. Got it. So what I would tell my expert, who's the vocational evaluation, is look at his skill set. Those skills didn't go away. They might be a little rusty, but they mm-hmm. didn't go away. His um, awards that he got, his certifications, are they still active? Um, looking at, at what your career path was at the time and how do you get back into that type of job? Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. You see that far too often, I imagine. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't see it going away. So if it's not going to go away, let's figure out how we're going to deal with it. What are the things that are that you look for in helping a separating parent with an allegation of alcohol abuse in the family? What are you looking to help them do? Show that it's not happening. It's simple. It's going to be a he said, she said. There'll be pictures and allegations. Oh, you know, I find bottles of alcohol in the ma- underneath the mattress. I, I, they're out at a soccer game and in there. Um, Tumblr is booze, not water. Like you're going to hear all this sort of stuff. They're going to bring out all these other people to say, what a drinker you are. Let's stop the he said, she said. Let's stop the litigation on this matter. Get onto Soberlink, which is third party, real time, independent verification on whether you've been drinking. It's a little device that you hold. You blow into it. It does your blood alcohol content, your BAC in real time. It takes a photo of you. And all my agreements and all my proposed court orders, I say that photo can only be used for litigation purposes and is confidential information that can't be shared because you're not going to be posting that of your co-parent on social media. But what it does is glitch you, the one being accused of not being able to control your alcohol consumption, to show to the court, when I'm with my kids, I'm not drinking. And it's more important for me to be with them than to have a drink. And here it is. So you can take everything she said, Judge. It doesn't matter because I'm going to show you I am sober. 
This is a wonderful tool, and it's a wonderful partner of this show, Soberlink. Uh, there are two models. One's a cellular model. If you're in the United States, you don't even need to connect it to a phone. It just works. Uh, but there is also a, a model that will connect to your phone. So you got your phone in your pocket. You blow into Soberlink, takes a picture, sends it to the people who need to know at the time they need to know it, when you are driving or about to drive your kids. Uh, and so you can get started today. Easy. Soberlink has generously offered 50 bucks off your device. All you have to do is visit Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster to get started today. Our great thanks to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. And I wouldn't want to insinuate as the person being examined that things have changed in the market. But would I at any point raise my hand and say, look, Look at all the gray hair now in my beard. Like, things have changed. The market has changed. I'm, even though my skills are still good, it's going to be harder for me to get a job just because of how old I am. And that is part of the calculation that the vocational analysis will entail. We all okay. know there is a bias of hiring someone who's 60 as opposed to 40. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what goes into that analysis. But remember, the points you are making... You're not the first one to make these points. Judge, I'm 50 years old. Who's going to hire me now? I haven't worked for 10 years. It's really hard to get a like job. That's a completely original idea. <laughs> right. And the judges <laughs> heard that. And the yeah. judges had other cases where someone hadn't worked for 15 years. It also goes to the type of job that you might get. Yes, you might not get that $100,000 job, but you can get a job as a legal assistant, as an administrative assistant. You can find employment at 40 grand a year. You can get something. Everybody always thinks like, well, I'm not going to get back to where I was. That's not what a vocational assessment is about. It will look at that history, but it's looking at where are you now in the marketplace today? And are you qualified for this job? Taking into account the fact that you haven't been employed for 10 years. And these vocational valuations, some of them just do voc evals, but a lot of them are like recruiters and they have other stuff where they're getting people types of jobs. Well, that, that's actually a, a great question uh, that I, I wanted to ask you about. Do you, what are the qualifications of the people who are doing this work? Yeah, there's no necessarily certification on this. Okay. To be an expert in Florida, it's a very low bar to get in court and say you're an expert. It's do you have some special okay. knowledge that will help the trier of fact, in our case, the judge, help make the determination? And what is that? So, and that's a, a very, they carry a briefcase. That's a very it. narrow, thin sketch. Other lawyers listening to this might say, Seth, you're wrong on that. It's more, yes, yeah. I get it. I know. We're just saying that you don't have to have any certain qualifications. It's like there's not a certification to be an expert in Vokeval. Right. Well, that that was because I, I wonder, like speaking in my case, is the person doing my vocational evaluation going to have some experience or expertise in public relations, marketing, communications? Because that was my field. They might not have experience in that field, but what they do have experience in is getting you, getting people jobs and evaluating them in the workforce. It's not any different than a forensic accountant doing a business evaluation. Mm -hmm. They might have never worked in the construction business, but they know how to value a construction business. They might okay. have never worked um, in the podcasting business, but they know how to value mm -hmm. the podcasting business because there's they, they are taught how to value different types of businesses. The fact that they've never worked in them is not mm -hmm. really um, an issue. What is the weight uh, accounted for 
those who have been trying to get back in the workforce? Like, is there any discussion of, look, Judge, I've, I've sent out 25 resumes in the last three months and I've heard nothing. The market is tight. Should that count toward my vocational evaluation? Yes. And here's how I do that. And I advise my clients to do that. I said, your job, if you're unemployed, is to look for work. That is your job. Mm -hmm. To the point where this is all kind of in real time, Vokeval comes out and says, well, here's a job that's available. Apply for it. Mm -hmm. What happens if you don't get it? Now, there's all this stuff about, well, did you tank the interview? Sure. Right. So you have to deal with those types of issues where I have in the past subpoenaed the person who interviewed you. Oh, wow. Right. So you can get a sense for like, why did they not get this job for real? Right. And and they are going to be very cautious on why they didn't hire because, right, people just say it's not a good fit. They're not going to get into details. But you ask questions like, did they dress appropriately in your view for the interview? Did they come prepared with their resume? Like all the things you teach high school kids to do and college kids to do, like, did they do the basics? And when they say, well, they showed up in T-shirts and shorts – and, right. you know, flip-flops. They threw away a can of Schlitz on their way into the <laughs> conference room. So, absolutely. You got the picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this process could take a while. You're going to be sitting down with the evaluator. It could last five hours, six hours to go through. You're taking tests to see what your skill mm-hmm. sets are. Your personality test. Talking to them. Um, kind of doing almost a mock interview. So there's all sorts of things that go on and it's stressful because it's a balancing act where inherently as a human being, you know that this person's job is to determine how much you can make. You don't think you can make a lot. If you if you did, we, we wouldn't be in this situation. So based upon that, the decisions like. Are you really putting your best foot forward? Because most people in this situation are going to focus on their negatives and not on their positives. But when you go for an interview, you focus on your positives, not your negatives. So there's this whole what I call dance that people do. And I try to get my clients not to do the dance. Yeah, that I imagine coming at this, uh, you know, if I just kind of try to put myself in those shoes, like coming at this from the perspective of I'm already under a stressful situation going through the divorce process, the odds are I'm going to amplify the worst in myself just naturally. I might not even intend to do it. I'm going to find imposter syndrome. I'm going to find all of the ways I can talk myself into a hole. Absolutely. And a lot of it is fear. I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to get a bunch of rejections. No one likes rejection. I've heard so many stories in the media about how older people are not able to find satisfying work if they come back into the marketplace. I've painted this picture in my head of impossibility, and I have therefore undermined my ability to actually ask for what I deserve. Absolutely. And historically, when I've had clients who are out of the workforce and they get back in the workforce, I will tell you, Pete, far majority of the time, 90%, even better, Mm -hmm. are happy they did. They've, it gives them a sense of self, self-worth. self It gives them a sense mm-hmm. of, you told me I was a piece of shit all these years. I couldn't do anything right. I just got three promotions in two years. Yeah, look at me now. Right, exactly. And I've had clients that have gone into professions that they never thought was even out there because let's say they were 
trying to get back into a job they had before in an office setting. And the mm-hmm. next thing you know, they're a caregiver for a disabled child and their life is fulfilled. Yeah. That is an hourly wage, just like the office job was an hourly rate wage. Maybe it doesn't have benefits. Maybe it does. And that's the other reason you want to start doing this early is because when you get divorced, you're not going to be on your former spouse's health insurance. And in our society, the majority of health insurance comes from an employer. I mean, there's things now in the government, Obamacare and the like, that there's an exchange. Generally speaking, though, that's where health insurance comes from. So your alimony might include a COBRA payment, which is outrageously expensive. Extraordinary. Or, hey, in the marketplace, it's going to cost you 500 bucks a month, right? Which is $6,000 mm-hmm. a year. But what I always tell my clients is, look, we get to go to court and say, judge, we don't need the health insurance because you got a job making X. Mm-hmm. But we need these other things in the alimony calculation. And suddenly you gain some sort of affinity in the process. You get some credibility. And yeah. it's, judge, I went out there, I applied for all these jobs right when I got boom, boom, boom. And then it just makes that issue so much easier when you're out there working. And I am not saying this is easy. Let's be very clear. This is not an easy task to undertake. And you got to juggle the kids and do we need daycare? And what about just getting yourself organized and out the door in the morning? So it also, as tough as that is, it does take away a big issue in litigation. Last question. Is there um, is there ever any use of the vocational evaluation as a, as a tool in the process, like, you know, one party says, oh, we need to do a vocational evaluation on on this person who is unemployed. And then you would say, OK, but then you have to do one, too, to make sure you're making enough. Right. Do you ever do reciprocal evaluations? Is that a thing? Not really, because typically one person's already working. Right. And they've had that job. Um, and it just heats up litigation. So I don't I haven't really had a case that I can recall, even heard of one where both parties okay. were doing it. Now, I've settled cases, and here's the other thing to do to save time, cost, money, expense, heartache, attorney's fees. You just ask the other side, how much you think I can make? Oh, you can make 60. Yeah. I'll, I'll impute 40. We won't have to go through a vocival. I'll tell you right now, you can impute $40,000 to me. Yeah, let's go ahead, adjust the spreadsheets, and not, never, we shall never speak of it again. That's right. That's right. So that's another way to do it. Now, I'll look at my client mm-hmm. and say, all of these calculations are acting like you're making 40 G's a year. Go get a job. Yeah. That makes at least 40 G's a year. Right. And here's the other okay. thing that people don't realize. Sometimes we back in in negotiations to an alimony number. And yeah. alimony is modifiable. And so is child support. And once I get that number by adjusting my client's hypothetical imputed income, from a strategic point of view, I'd like my client's hypothetical number to be higher. Mm-hmm. Because then they're getting, I'm making up a number, $5,000 a month in alimony. We've imputed them at $50,000 a year. Yeah. They get a job at 40. The alimony doesn't change because they didn't hit that 50 threshold or go above sure. it. Right. Yeah. So they have room for more disposable income. So to speak. Well, thank you, Seth. I love these little episodes, which give me an opportunity to learn some new terms and, uh, frankly, learn what I need to be afraid of and what I don't. And I think this sounds actually 
pretty reasonable. Uh, and it's certainly something that I imagine most of the people listening to this show likely won't have to face. That would be my hope. It, it is a okay. narrow segment of what I do. All right. Well, I sure appreciate it, Seth. This is why, you know, Seth Nelson, you are America's favorite divorce attorney. On behalf of that guy, Mr. Handsome over there, I'm Pete Wright. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate your time and attention. We'll see you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.